Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Densky continues our series, Peace and Pain, where we talk about pain in life and how Jesus is our true source of peace. Matt talks about anxiety this week, looking at 1 Peter 5, verses 6-7, through 7, and what it looks like to humble ourselves and cast all our anxieties on God because He cares for us. We also look at Jesus in Mark 14 as He becomes overwhelmed with facing death and Jesus' example of facing anxiety with others surrounding Him. We hope you enjoy this message. Amen, amen. Grab a seat. Guys, it is so good to be back with my family, back with my crew here at Fellowship Greenville. I missed you guys. One person, one person missed me, man. Whoever it was, I missed you, man. Last week I was uh, down in Florida and uh, I did a little bit of teaching at a church down there, but I missed my crew, man. I got to brag on you guys all the time. They were like, hey, man, what's it like? I was like, it's the best. They were like, who's the worst? I was like, dude, J.J. Bunny. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, J.J. I love you so much, man. I've just had it in pocket since Florida. I was like, how can I go back and dig on J.J.? Let me think. I, I, I can't call him and dig on him. I need to do it in front of other people. No, J.J., I love you, man. No, it was so good, um, but it's good to be back, man. It's good to be here with you guys. If you don't know me and I don't know you, my name is Matt, and I'd like to welcome you to Fellowship Greenville Students. Uh, man, this is our heartbeat here, is that you would know that, that you belong here and that you're loved here. And um, we believe that Jesus is the source of life and hope and truth in this world, and so we talk about him a lot, we, we point to him, we exalt him, but, um, but, but you don't need to believe in him to be loved here or to belong here. And we understand and we recognize like we're all on a journey. Now, uh, we believe he is the source of hope, but we want you to know no matter where you're at, we love you. And you belong here, man. That's our heartbeat. And so if it's your first time here, I'd like to welcome you. We are in the midst of a series that our, uh, our brother, Justin Best, there he is, man, JB, in the house. <laughs> JB kicked us off last week. We're in the midst of a series called Pain and Peace. And this series has been on our hearts for a long time. Uh, on my heart for a, for a long time. And the team and I, we've, we've kicked it around. We, we keep workshopping it. We keep landing on stuff and then changing stuff. But we, we just felt like, man, the time uh, is now. And we want to talk about this. And so um, we know that culture right now is struggling and wrestling with things like anxieties and worry and connectedness, loneliness, depression, suicide. More than ever before, our generation is wrestling with these things in record numbers. I mean, it, it doesn't even hold a candle to any generation prior. And we think the scriptures have a lot to say. We think Jesus has a lot to say. And we wanted to do a series that embraced the dialogue centering around worry, anxiety, depression, suicide, and also peace, which is part of our, our series, right? This idea of peace. And, um, and truthfully... Like, if we're really brutally honest, the church, capital C Church, not, not just this church, but the church, has not done the best job over the years at being a place to talk about certain things. Addictions, um, suicide, depression, sex, right? Like, these things, the church just kind of is like, ooh, let's, like, let's let the schools handle that. Let's let professionals handle that. But we think Jesus has a lot to say about these things. And so we wanted to embrace the dialogue centering around pain. What do the scriptures have to say about pain? And we, we 
we believe Jesus offers a message of hope. But here's what we're not saying, because there's a lot of promises that go out there as well. Sometimes there's promises like, hey, if you believe in Jesus, all of your pain will go away. Or if you believe in Jesus, you will never wrestle with anxiety or depression or worry or suicide again. He'll just take it away. And we want you to know, like, that's not necessarily true. Could Jesus do that? Absolutely. Does he sometimes do that? Yes. I mean, there are stories upon stories upon stories of people who have experienced victory or healing in certain things and others who, who are wrestling every day with, with some of these thoughts. So we're not saying that belief in Jesus takes these things away. What we're saying is that belief in Jesus gives us a hope and a peace in the midst of the reality of anxieties and worries and depressions and suicide and things like that. That he offers true peace, which I know is kind of oxymoron, right? Like it doesn't seem to line up. It doesn't seem to be harmonious. How, how can I be wrestling with anxiety but have peace at the same time? How, how can I be stressed out and just burdened by worry and yet have hope and joy? How does, how does this work? And we think that, that that's a reality. And so we wanted to talk about it in this series. So guys, I, I thank you for coming. You've come in a great series. This is a Man, this is just one we've been waiting, 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 and so excited to, to dive into with you. So, Justin, thanks for kicking us off last week. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Uh, I'd like to share a story of something I'm a little anxious about, something, something I'm terrified of, actually. I do not like water that I cannot see through. It, like, freaks me out, man. Like, I hate it, okay? If... Like, if you ask me, hey, do you want to go swim in the lake? No, I don't. Why? It's going to be so fun. It's not. Trust me. No, it will. Like, we can dive off the boat. Like, there's this little diving board. They've rigged it up on the pontoon. That's great. You guys have fun. I'll stay on the boat. You don't like swimming? I love swimming. Let's go to a chlorine pool. But a lake where I can't see, like, if I lower my hands a foot below the surface and I can no longer see my fingers, something's wrong. Why would you swim in that? That is garbage, man. That is weird. Thank you. One person agrees with me. Thank you, Lucas, my European brother. <laughs> Two people. Thank you. Uh, Brooke, thank you, thank you, thank you. So a few years ago, I was down in Florida. Um, actually, wow, it just connected the dots. It was the church I just spoke at. It was the pastor of that church. And he lives on a canal. And he said, hey, man, since you're down here, do you want to go out on the boat? You got to be polite, right? Like when it's not people you know. And I was like, yes. <laughs> He's like, oh, great. You're going to love it, man. We'll, we'll, we'll fire it up. We'll get a bunch of people out there and uh, we'll go wakeboarding. And I've never been wakeboarding before, but I've always thought it looks fun. And I was like, yeah, sure. I want to try it. So we get out there on the water and a few people take their turns before me. And wakeboarding, like a lot of other things, looks so easy when you're not the one doing it, right? Like you watch it and you're like, Oh, yeah, simple physics. You lay down, the boat pulls you, you stand up, you get pulled. Like, it's so easy. And then you try it. And you're like, this is the dumbest thing that God has ever allowed to be invented on the planet, man. So here comes my turn. And they strap you into this board, which is also ridiculous. I don't know if you guys know how swimming works, but you need freedom of movement in your legs. But they strap you to this board. And you're just like bobbing in the water. And you got to remember, like, in my heart right now, ping, 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 ping. Like my, I hate being in water I can't see in, right? So I'm just like coaching myself in my brain. You ever been there with something? Like, Matt, it's cool, man. You just saw three people go before you. If someone was going to get eaten, it wouldn't be you, man. It would have been those suckers, okay? Like you're fine right now. 
So I'm just laying in this water, just bobbing and trying to convince myself, you're safe, man. You're totally cool. Not believing anything I'm saying in that moment, right? So I'm laying there. They would toss the little triangle in at the end of the rope. You grab it. Thank you. It's a handle. Okay. So they would toss the handle in and uh, you grab it and then the boat takes off. And anyone ever been wakeboarding? Show of hands. Wakeboarders in the house. Yes. Thanks. First time, did you, were you able to stand up first time? Okay, good. If you had said yes, I would have walked out. Did you raise your hand? Just leave, man. Just go home. Call Rob. I'm coming home early. I hurt Matt's feelings. I lied before God. Nobody stands up on their first time, okay? So, <laughs> Chris. So I'm there. The boat takes off, and it, it tugs, and they coach you. You know, they're like, all right, when it, you just you pull against it. You resist, but you don't pull too hard. You let it stand you up, but you don't let it tug you forward. You don't let it pull you forward. You let, it's like, what? none of this makes sense. So it pulls, and it just rips the fingers off my hands. I was like, ow! So the boat loops. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm going to be this guy. The boat is just going to circle me the whole day. I know this is the reality. So the boat comes back around. The little thing's floating by me. I grab it. And they're like, okay, now this time, see what you did wrong? They're like, okay, thanks, man. So I grab the thing, takes off, rips out of my fingers. I'm like, all right, dude. And I'm, a, I'm a kind of a competitive guy by nature. So I'm, I'm sitting there in the midst of like, I hate being in this water, but I'm not going to let this stupid plastic thing on my feet defeat me, all right? I will get this, dude. Boat comes around. Things sliding by me, grab it. Okay, thanks. Didn't know to do that. So I'm, I grab it, and, I, and it's like, okay, now what you want to, you just want to relax, but you want to be firm with it. You want to lean back, but not too far. I'm like, all right, dude, like, whatever, man. And so it takes off, and so I decide, I, I'm just, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to vice grip this thing. I will not let this thing get tugged out of my hands. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how strong you think you are. A powerboat is stronger than you, okay? <laughs> it is. So that thing takes off, and man, I'm, I'm resisting, I'm resisting, and I decide, well, dude, just, I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna let my feet resist, so I just, whoop, so now I'm like forward, doing a Superman across this lake, and so finally I, I let go. Like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. So the guy comes around. His boat is in the water next to me. He's trying to give me advice. By this point in time, I hate you, I hate your boat, I hate this board, I hate this lake, I hate it all, man. I can't focus on what he's saying because the whole time I'm in this water, I keep thinking, what is below me? What is below me? And he's like, okay, now what you, and I'm like, yeah, thank you, and, and I'm just like looking around at particles, you know, I felt a fish touch my toe, I'm like freaking out down there, man, and all this stuff. And then he tell, I don't know why he would decide, this is the moment I want to let him know this. His boat's just bobbing there. I'm bobbing there. He's letting my hands take a break, like a little five-minute break there. He's like, hey, you never believe it, man. Down the canal, see that island over there? I was like, yeah. He goes, last month, 14-foot gator was bagged right there. Like, why, in the name of God, in that moment, why? Like, wait till I'm on land 
before you tell me about an apex predator who can hide in the water, hold its breath for like half an hour, and come up underneath me with a bite force of a vice grip. Why? Yeah, man, big gator right down. I'm like, cool. I'm literally in the water. Here's what I do. I like draw in all my limbs. I know joke. I'm having like a little breakdown in the water. I'm, I'm like bobbing there. I'm literally praying, God. Have <laughs> you ever talked to God about the most ridiculous things? God, I, oh, I just pray that you would trick the mind of that gator to see me as like floating refuse, like just garbage on the water or like a pile of seaweed or whatever on the lake top, not a tasty morsel that he probably, I'm like praying that God would trick an alligator's mind. So the dude like tosses me the handle again. So, all right, now this time we're going to get it. And for the next hour, I don't know how long it was, but for the next hour, 45 minutes, right, just brrr, tugs out of my hand. By the end of the day, my hands are so raw. Like my fingers are skin. I'm so raw. We get back in the, in the boat. I never saw a gator or anything. But you know what I couldn't focus on that whole time? Wakeboarding. You know why? Besides the fact that it's stupid, you know why? <laughs> I'm not a sore loser, man, I promise. <laughs> you know? The fears of what's around me that I don't know were just eating away at my mind. And in my, I don't care how many people I saw go in front of me. I don't care how many other boats were in the canal or in the lake that I can tangibly see. And they look like they're having a good time. They look like they're loving it. Oh, look at that person there wakeboarding. <laughs> Why are they so good? I don't care how many people I saw. Nothing could convince me in that moment that I was safe. Because the reality is there is a gator somewhere here. I don't care if he's five miles away. We don't know. And anyone, anyone who enters the water with a peaceful state of mind, like, has something wrong with them, okay? Like, I, I was in Louisiana once on a canal, gators literally lining the edges. I mean, just everywhere. I'm on a fan boat. This boat passes us. This tiny little boat with a little motor, like putting along. Tied to the back is an inner tube, and it couldn't have been older than a five-year-old and a three-year-old getting tugged by this boat. And the kids are just, woo, like through this thing. And gators are on the bank, people, like looking as they go by. I'm like, something's wrong with Louisiana. Everybody. Something's wrong with this whole state. It should break off and float away. You know what I mean? Like, not really. I couldn't focus on anything because I was worried about something I couldn't see. And the reality is, for a, lot of, for a lot of people who wrestle with anxieties and worry, who just feel so weighed down by it, that's the reality. It's like, dude, it doesn't matter how many people around me are in this life and they're having a good time and they're laughing and they're able to go about their day normally. I don't care about them. My reality is mine. It's affecting me. And that's part of the nature of anxiety. It's a weird balance of fear and control. I don't have control, and I'm afraid of what I don't know. And so the unknowable is at a crossroads with the unpredictable, and you can't control the outcome, and all of a sudden, boom, I mean, it just hits, and you don't know why, but you're afraid of this and that. And I mean, I know we're in a lake, but what if there's jellyfish? In I mean, everything is a possibility. When you struggle with anxiety... 
You start to hyperbolize. You start to make up things. You start to allow realities that aren't realities to become your reality, and then you let those weigh you down. And then you start to worry about things that aren't real, but the things that aren't real become your reality. But then you feel embarrassed to talk about it because you know everyone else is just wakeboarding on by and waving and smiling and wow, it all looks so easy. So you don't talk about it. It's like, wow, how come it's so easy for them and not for me? How come they're not scared and I am? How come they're not insecure when they wake up every day? How come they're not crippled by the self-defeating thought that they're not good enough? How come they look so happy and I don't? And somewhere in the back of our mind, we know that it's not real, but it's real for us. Where control and fear meet, where the unknowable and the unpredictable go hand in hand, anxiety sparks, and it consumes us. And it's almost like, like me in the water. It's almost like we just withdraw into the shell of like, God, man, would you, just, would you just, like we start praying these things that we know are just kind of like, really, you want me to trick an alligator's eyes? I mean, okay, Matt, like sure, I'll let him see you as a rock, I guess. I don't know, man. Like we start praying these things. That's anxiety. We're not able to focus on the moment. We're only focused on what we don't know. It affects everything else. It consumes us. I want to talk about anxiety tonight. And so if you have your Bibles, let's go. First Peter. First Peter. It's in the New Testament. All the way towards the back. First Peter. We have it on the screens for you too. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. So Peter, believe it or not, is the author of this letter, and it's his first one. Thanks, JJ. I got a little smile. Thanks, man. First Peter 5, verse 6. Peter says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So this is one of these verses to me. If you've been in Christian circles for very long, for like a month, and you struggle with anxiety, you've probably been tossed, maybe not this verse word for word, but this verse in concept. Someone has probably said to you, hey man, just give it to the Lord. Anyone ever heard that? That paraphrase? Show of hands? Yeah, you guys can interact with me. I'm a real person. Um, hey man, just give it to the Lord. Just give it to God. What does that mean? Hey man, just give it to God. He'll take care of it. Oh, okay, but for... For a lot of us, um, I've been trying to give it to God for the past, I don't know, years? And it still seems like I'm in the same place. So what does that mean? And there is truth to the reality like, hey, we, we do need to take these things to God. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but what I've found is sometimes we actually hurt people and misrepresent Jesus when we treat this book like a fortune cookie. So in other words, you finish your meal, and you just need a little a laugh or whatever. You need to know like what the Chinese are prophesying about your life for whatever reason. So they bring you this dessert with a prophecy in it. You crack it open. 
like, oh my gosh. I will be successful this week in the workplace. Wow. But, but when we begin to treat the Bible that way, oh, you're wrestling with anxiety? Woo! Let's just crack open this cookie right quick. Give it to God. Look, it says it right here. Right? We almost treat it like this, this incantation. Like, hey, man, if you just say this enough, if you just rehearse this, if you just say this enough, it's, it's like magic, man. It's like magic. It'll just, somehow it'll go. Your anxieties will go away. We treat the word of God almost like a fortune cookie. Crack it open, read, read it, read it enough, and something will happen. We don't quite get it. We don't know what, but something will happen. No, it, but what if it doesn't? And how come it hasn't? And if that works, how come so many people, more than ever before in any generation, how come so many people are crippled with anxiety? If it were as magic as that, you don't think the whole world would be reading this? What do you mean, cast your anxiety? What, what is it? Hey, just give it to God, bro. He'll take care of it. But, but what? You guys feel the tension, right? And we do this. You know we do this all the time. And it's not, hear me, guys, hear me. It's not wrong to point someone to the inspired word of God. All right? That's where Jesus is revealed. That's where the heart of God is revealed. That's where power and victory are. That's not wrong. But when we point them to the word of God without any idea of how this thing works or what to do with it or how to apply it, or we make this the fortune cookie book, then we set people up for failure because they're going to go, they're going to read it, Nothing's going to happen. It's like, well, that didn't work, so what else? I mean, this is like me floating in the water. Like, dude, how, how, do, I, how do I do this? You just got to gotta stand up when we tug. Okay. I mean, I've seen other wakeboarders. I guess I just didn't connect the dots that I've got to stand to. Thank you. It's like, yeah, obviously. I'm floating in the water. You just got to hold on and stand. Oh. See, I was trying to let go and sink. Man, that's where I got. That's why this hasn't been working for me. No, man. It's like someone struggling with anxiety. Hey, you just got to give it to God. You got to try harder. You got to stand up now. Come on. It's like, dude, but I'm trying your technique, and it doesn't work. And by the way, there's a monster gator somewhere, and I'm too focused on him. This is how we treat the word of God. Oh, you're struggling? Wow, I'm so sorry. Just give it to God. Just, just hang on a little tighter to God. Just stand up on God. Dude, I'm sinking. And there are monsters beneath my surface that you know nothing about. And I'm trying to figure this out. And your advice to me is to just give it? What does that mean? It's not wrong to point someone to the truth. It's wrong to set someone up for failure by not helping them understand the truth. Please don't treat this book like a fortune cookie. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, 
under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So we're going to kind of work backwards with this verse. Let's just reverse it. In other words, because God cares for you, let's take that final part, because God cares for you, that's a reality, that's a truth, it's immutable, it's unchangeable, God cares for you, because of that truth, give him your anxieties. Cast your anxieties on him like a fisherman with a net who's cast, just cast your anxieties on to God. Why? Because he loves you. The reality, he loves you, so, so let it lead to this. You see, when we start talking to people about anxieties, one of the things I've learned over the years is that we're not only crippled by anxieties, we're crippled by shame. There's such a stigma around someone who struggles with mental health or anxieties or worry or whatever, and especially in the Christian world, and we have not done a good job whatsoever at representing Jesus well to people who struggle. Someone struggles with anxieties, so we do the fortune cookie thing, like, hey, man, just give it to God. And when that doesn't work, it might come back a couple weeks. Oh, well, did you pray? Yeah, I, I tried that. Oh, well, do you have enough faith? I mean, I thought I did, but now I don't think I do. Oh, I mean, it's just like this, this passive judgment happening in that moment. Oh, I mean, I guess you're just broken and without hope then, right? Like, we don't say that. But that's what the perception is. We created this shame culture around struggle. And so therefore, we don't voice it. And when we don't voice it, no one knows. So we live in secret. And then we have to wear masks all day. And then eventually we convince ourselves, man, if the people who represent Jesus think I'm broken or something's wrong with me and I feel shame, maybe that's how God thinks about me too. And so then we, get, then we begin to project our emotions from an experience with someone towards God. And we begin to think, God, I, I guess you're em embarrassed of me or ashamed of me. I, I guess I am broken. I guess I am messed up. Maybe I am beyond hope. Maybe, maybe you don't love me. Maybe you don't want to talk to me. Maybe, maybe you don't hear my prayers because I am too far gone. Or maybe, maybe you don't care about me. I can't tell you how many students I've met with and counseled and will talk about anxiety. And one of the most common conclusions that I hear from them is, God feels distant. It doesn't seem like he cares. And this verse, this passage, because God cares about you, cast your anxieties on him. If you don't think that God loves you, you have already convinced yourself that he can't handle you at your worst. And this verse is not talking about, hey, God loves you, God cares about you only when you're doing really, really well. Hey, God loves you and God cares about you when you've got your act together. That's not what it's saying. Some of us have convinced ourselves that, yeah, I, I know God cares. I know God cares. But, but he doesn't. I know he cares about me and he loves me. He's God. But he doesn't like every part of me. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He loves and likes every part of you. And he wants to invite you into this relationship where you get to talk about it with him. And he welcomes that. You see, the scriptures talk about this immense worth and value and love that God has for his children. 
And a good father loves everything about their children. Now hear me, does it mean that he approves of every single thing we do? No, 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 no. Don't take me to the extreme and be like, I can live totally recklessly and God will love everything I do. No, there's a difference between loving what we do and loving who we are. God loves everything about you. I told you guys I was in Florida last weekend. I caught a late flight out of Jacksonville around 8 p.m., went through Atlanta, like every flight in the southeastern seaboard does. Went through Atlanta, caught another plane, got home around midnight. Over the weekend, I taught uh, 13 hours over this weekend. I was exhausted. Relationally, if you guys know me, you know I'm I'm an introvert. I need some me time. Didn't get any this weekend. Taught like crazy this weekend. I'm exhausted. The only thing on my mind as I walked through the house was, man, I just want to shower and I want bed and I want to see my boys. But it's midnight. But I didn't care. So I go upstairs, I clean up, take a shower, get ready for bed. And the last thing I do before I go to bed, I go over to my one and a half year old's room and his door sticks. This is a tricky progress I've learned over a lot of months and a lot of times of waking him up, and that's my bad. But his door sticks, and it pops. The paint pops. And so you have to, like, you have to pull as hard as you can, slide the doorknob so that it doesn't, like, pop in. And then you have to open it. But while you open it, you have to push with your right foot on the lower right part of the door and push with your left hand on the upper left. And you kind of have to wiggle, 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 and work that paint loose so that when you open it, it doesn't just pop. So I'm doing that, the whole jig, like right here in the hallway, and I'm opening it up, and I get in there, and my little boy, little one-and-a-half-year-old, he's all tucked over in his crib. I just turn on a little light. I hold it kind of away from him because I don't want to wake him up, and I just look at him, his little diaphragm going up and down, his little hair curling in the back. He's got like one arm around this like gray bear. He's like giving it a vice grip headlock, and he's just got it tucked in tight. Listen to his breath. I pray over him. I tell him I love him. I know he can't hear me. I love you, buddy. I just back away. Then I walk down the hall, and I go to my four-year-old's room. Door's not quite as tricky in the four-year-old. I just go in. It's a very quiet door on the four-year-old's. So I go in. He's sleeping over there. He's got his, like, superhero little big boy underwear on and some like Spider-Man. He loves Spider-Man, right? He's got his Spider-Man shirt on. He's over there. Blankets are all thrown everywhere. His little stuffed animal gone somewhere. He's sleeping in the most uncomfortable position you've ever seen. I'm like, wow, that's a neck breaker right there. But I go over there. Man, same. I just, I watch him breathe. I listen to his breathing. I, I, man, oh, look at, look how his little feet cross. I know it's so dumb, man, but these are my boys. Look how his little feet are crossed. That's so cute. I pray over him, I tell him I love him, I back out of the room, I go to bed. Do my boys drive me insane sometimes? Yes, okay, if you've never raised kids, (laughs) buckle up. Uh, Everything they do, do I love? No. But do I love everything about them? Everything. I don't look at them and think, oh man, you know what I would change about you? I wish you were a little less emotional. I mean, they throw some tantrums, but it's them. It's who they are, and I love it. I love them. 
I don't look at them and go, oh, you know what? I, oh, I just wish you were a little different. I, I, dude, I just wish, well, I do wish you were a better sleeper. That part is true. But um, I went a year without a, without a night's sleep. So cut me some slack, people. I look at them and I don't think, man, I just wish, oh, I wish your eyes were a little different. I wish they were shit. Man, I just, ooh, you got that part of me and that's cool. I wish you had gotten this. I don't ever look at them and edit them past tense. I love everything about who they are. And the scripture here, God cares about you. And sometimes we think, oh, I guess that means when I have my life together. I guess that means when I'm like doing good things, like when I read my Bible and when I pray. I guess that's what, like God really loves those. Yeah, he does love those. And guess what else he loves? He loves the broken parts of you. He loves the messed up parts of you. He loves the parts that you try to hide and lock away. God loves every single part of your heart and mind. And he wants access to it all because he loves you. He is a good father, and he stands over his children, and he just adores them with as much love as he has in his heart. And he looks at all the, oh, look at that. Oh, he says, oh, I love that. I love that. He just loves you, every part of you. And it's because of that truth, because God cares about you, we can bring our anxieties to him. There is not one part of you that God doesn't invite. There's not one part of you that he will not love or accept. Don't you ever believe the lie that God only wants the healthy parts of you. He wants the broken parts of you too. How else could they be fixed? Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, comma, you guys notice that? Comma. It's not two different verses. This is one train of thought. And so what Peter is saying here is, hey, this is a connecting idea. One leads to the other. Humble yourselves and cast your anxieties on him. Humble yourselves and come to him with your brokenness. And I want to be very clear on something. When we get to a reality in life, when we say, oh, man, like, I know I'm jacked up, but I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll fix it. I'll get my life together, and then I'll go to God. What? Dude, if that worked, it would have worked by now. It doesn't work. This whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps and your own strength gets you, it doesn't work. In fact, I, I want you to know it is a prideful thing to come to a reality where you think that you don't need help. It is a prideful thing to not ask for help. Look how Peter begins verse 6. Humble yourselves. Casting your anxieties on him. It's a comma, not a p. It's the same sentence. When we come to a reality where we're like, I don't want to bring God my junk. I don't want to bring him my stuff. I don't think he can handle it. I'll fix my stuff. I'll take care of myself. I'll bring him my good stuff. I'll work on my bad stuff. Let me clean myself up first. Then I'll go to God. That is pride talking. And pride convinces you you don't need help. Pride convinces you you're better than help. Pride convinces you it's too embarrassing to ask for help. Pride convinces you you can solve it this time. Pride convinces you, I know you haven't been able to so far, but one more time and you'll get it right. Pride convinces you that you do not need to ask for help in life's battlefield. Peter says, humble yourself. Understand, man, we are broken. It is not a bad thing or a wrong thing or a shameful thing to ask for help. In our culture, we've made it that. Let's be honest. America is not the best culture for asking for help. We're all like self-driven, autonomy, individuality. You don't need help, right? But Peter's saying, no, dude, you need help. We all need help. Humble yourself. 
under the mighty hand of God. That word hand there, man, it, it represents God's power, God's plan, God's provision. Humble yourself so that God can actually lift you up. Give him your anxieties because he cares. Because he cares. You know, as Peter's writing this book, the context of Peter is, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1, Peter is writing to people who believe in Jesus, but they've been scattered, they're spread out, they're afraid for their lives. People are, are killing um, Christians just because they're Christians, they're persecuting them. And so Peter is writing them this letter, and he's saying, hey, man, I know that we're spread out. I know it's so risky to be a, a Christian right now. And he's giving them hope and encouragement. He's spurring them on. First Peter is written to a community. It's a communal book of people who claim the name of Jesus. Most Americans, when we read Scripture, let's be honest, guys, and I do this too, most Americans read this as if it's like, humble yourself, Matt, Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, Matt. But Peter is not writing to an individual. He's writing to a community. Humble yourselves, people. Like the impression of Peter, the assumption of Peter is that we are doing this life together. And I want you to know one of the most dangerous conclusions you can come to is that I don't need help and I don't need company. I can figure this out on my own. And when we wrestle things like anxieties, one of the things that the enemy wants to convince you of is that you don't have to ask for help and you don't have to invite help in. Like you don't, you don't have to have people with you on the journey. But Peter is writing to a community. And I just, I, I just real quick, real quick, real quick, I just want to take us to a time in the life of Jesus when he was struggling with anxiety. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that fact, that God in the flesh wrestled with anxiety. He was at a moment in his life when he was, he was begging God to take away the circumstances of his life, to change the outcome of his life because of the pressure that was weighing down on him in that moment. Does that sound familiar to a lot, to a lot of people who wrestle with anxiety? God, would you just take this away? Would you take... Jesus is there. Mark 14. Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to be murdered. He's about to go to the cross to be crucified. Mark 14, verse 32. We've got it on the screen, too. They went to a place... Place, wow. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go pray. And then he took with him Peter, James, and John. Out of the 12 disciples, Jesus had three that were kind of like his, his closest friends, his best friends, we would say, right? But he, he just had this deep trust with them and this deep relationship with them. And he took those three, Peter, James, and John. So he's got his 12. He says, all right, guys, sit here. I'm going to go pray. Hey, Peter, James, and John, I need you, man. I need you. And look at what he says to them. He began to be greatly distressed and troubled, and he says to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. I mean, Jesus is looking at his best friends. Jesus, God in the flesh. Man, sometimes we think God doesn't know what I'm going through, man. He doesn't know what it's like to be weighed down by the pressure of the way. He doesn't know what it's like to feel just so distant. He doesn't know what it's like to feel so overwhelmed. Yes, he does. Scriptures say that Jesus has been tempted in every way as we are, 
And he's gone through those temptations, yet without sin, so that he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Jesus knows what you've been through, and he desires to comfort you because he's been there. That's why God became one of us, so that he can relate to everything we go through. It's the beauty of the gospel, man. So Jesus is in the garden. He tells his three best friends, man, I'm just feeling so distressed. I'm feeling so overwhelmed. I feel like I'm about to die. This doesn't sound like a lighthearted, oh, he seems worried about something. No, he's, this is anxiety. This is stress. The scriptures say that in this moment, his sweat became like drops of blood. This is a medical condition that only happens under extreme duress and distress and worry. When you begin to sweat your own blood out, Jesus is there. I feel like death, Peter, James, I need you, man. Jesus goes away from them, and he begins to pray. Verse 35, he fell on the ground. He just collapses and he prays to God. If it were possible, if it were possible that this hour might pass from me. And he said, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, this reality from me. The cup is a metaphor for, the, for his death and what he's about to go through. God, would you please remove the Jesus understood, man, what I'm about to endure on the cross, not just physically but spiritually, becoming sin of the world is an incredibly dark reality. God, would you just remove it from me? Would you take, did you know, did you know that in the prayer life of Jesus, he prayed a prayer where he asked God, would you just take it? Sometimes we feel so guilty by that prayer. Man, you can't ask God to take it away. Come on. You can ask him. It doesn't mean he will, but man, God cares about every part of you, and I would go as far as to say he wants to hear your raw, your rawest prayers. They don't have to be all prim and proper and churchy and Christian-y. Man, just talk to him. God, would you take this from me? But then look what he says. But it's not, it's not about what I will. It's about what you will. And so Jesus is in this crossroads of immense trust in the Father. God, you're good. It's about your will, about your life. Man, I want you to take it away from me. But if you don't, it doesn't change the fact that you're still good. So Jesus has reached this conclusion where God's goodness is not defined by Jesus' pain. And that's part of, of living and enduring in the reality. Sometimes we think, man, if, if I have pain in my life, God's no longer good. You know how many conversations I've had like that? Well, if God is all loving and all powerful, how come he doesn't remove evil from the world because evil can't exist with a good and loving God? Can't it? You know, there's another force at play too, right? It's called evil. We have an enemy. Jesus is there. Man, God, would you just change this? But if you don't change it, you're still good. The presence of pain is not the absence of Christ. The presence of pain does not change God's goodness or love in your life. It's okay to cry out to God and wrestle with God, but let us also shape our, our theology and our minds around truth. That just because we endure hardships does not mean that God is any less good or, or any less present in our lives. So Jesus prays. He's in this moment of extreme fatigue, extreme anxiety, extreme discouragement. If you know the rest of the story, <laughs> he goes back to his disciples, Peter, James, and John. They're asleep, man. <laughs> it's like, dude, what are y'all doing? This is his most crucial moment. Y'all are snoozing. So he wakes them up. He's like, guys, I need you, man. I need you to pray. Please pray. You know what's amazing about Jesus here? 
Jesus, God in the flesh, understood this very, very simple reality that we cannot do life alone. We try. We try. We try based out of shame to admit our problems. We try based out of fear. What will people think of us if we admit? We try based out of pride. Man, I can't admit I need help. I can't admit I need people. Come on. God in the flesh. God. If there was anyone who could ever have been like, yeah, I'll just do it myself. God in the flesh, in his most vulnerable moment, overwhelmed by anxieties, his words are, I feel like my soul is literally unto death right now, sweating blood. In that moment, what's he do? Hey, guys, I just need you to be with me. I just need you to be with me. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to try to fix me. You don't have to try to have to coach me. You don't try to have to give me answers. I just need your presence because I'm crying out to God in this moment, and I just need company. Jesus understood the reality that we cannot do life alone. We need people in our lives. Peter is writing to a community. And when he says, humble yourselves, he's thinking in his mind, as you, community, read this. When he says, cast your anxieties on God because he cares, he's not talking to the individual. He's talking to the community. The assumption of this book is that we would be doing life together. Why? Because you were never created to do it alone. You can't do it alone. And letting things like pride or shame or fear or embarrassment or whatever convince you that you can just sets you up for more failure. It is okay to raise a hand sometimes and say, I just need help. God, I need help. God, would you take it away? But even if you don't, you're good. But, but man, in that moment, could you, could you guys just come and pray with me? Call a friend. Man, I don't need you to say anything. I don't need you to try to fix me. Would you just just pray with me, dude. Just pray or just sit there in silence while I pray. I just need company, man. Living life together. What if we became a place where people who struggled with anxieties and worries and doubts, depression, loneliness, suicide, what if this became a beacon of light, a, a community where people who struggled with those things knew that they could freely admit it and not be judged and not be dismissed and not be looked at as some project or some thing to fix, but someone to be embraced in love and grace and to be walked with through life as we're all allowing God to redeem our spirit and our problems because we are a community of broken people seeking a holy God who loves and cares about every part of us. What would it look like to create a culture where people could start admitting their junk and inviting other people into it without fear or shame or embarrassment or rejection? What would it look like for others to say, hey, man, you don't need to worry about that. Dude, you struggle with anxiety, that's okay. You're loved. It doesn't change one ounce of how much you're loved or the fact that you belong. Man, throw an arm around them, walk with them, hear their story. You don't have to fix them in one. I think for so many people, they're like, oh, if I just hear your story, I'm, I'm going to have to fix you tonight, man. I got No, just be with someone. Love on someone. God cares about every part of you. He wants every part. When we convince ourselves that we can do it alone, that's pride. Pride can be fear or shame or embarrassment, but it's pride. We need help. 
We need people in our life. And so, guys, I'm begging you to come to those realities tonight. That if you're wrestling with anxiety, worry, doubt, loneliness, depression, suicide, I want you to hear me. It's, it's okay to admit those things, to seek help for those things. You don't have to do this alone. God will not love you any less for saying it out loud. And hopefully the people of God, I can't promise for them, but hopefully they'll respond in the same way, full of grace, compassion, truth, and walk and journey with you. I'm begging with you to understand how loved you are by a holy God and how much help you need. We need, because we're all messed up. It's not wrong to admit that we need help. So, man, if you need help, I'm begging you, find the friends. Find your Peter, James, and John. Just invite them into the struggle. Let people walk with you. And allow God to heal your heart in the process. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Um, Jesus, one of the things, as I read your word, as I was studying this passage, these passages for tonight, one of the things I was just struck by humbled by is just how raw you are to just pray, God, I don't want this. To admit, I feel like death. To say those things out loud. And Jesus, you were perfect. Those things didn't affect your morality at all. Those were not sinful things to proclaim, to admit the reality of your emotional state. And so Jesus, we pray that based on your model, we would be begin to take steps to admit the need for help. Jesus, you love every part of us. You've made us. You've knit us together. And you love us. And there's not one part of us that you don't want us to bring to you. And so, Jesus, if we have those thoughts of pride or fear or shame or embarrassment, we just pray that you would remind us how loved we are. And if we ever think that we can do life alone, we just pray that you would remind us no, you can't. I've created you to do it together. So invite other people in. And Jesus, give us the grace and understanding to walk with each other in the midst of our brokenness. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.